Meet Yelp for Restaurants. Not the software company, but the people who love restaurants so much they formed a team dedicated to our industry. Before Catherine joined the customer success team, she managed the modern in New York. Yeah, that modern. Before Julia joined the team, she worked at Oshaval in Chicago for half a decade. Yelp is for restaurants because our people are restaurant people. Meet the new Yelp at restaurants.yelp.com forward slash podcast. Now here we go. I think people understand that it's a new dawn. It's a new day. We have to think differently in our business today. People are not the same as they were two years ago. They're not the same as they were 10 years ago. So anything I can learn to create a better environment where people feel safe and feel appreciated is important. And I think the education and the collaborative nature of being in groups does that. Welcome to Full Comp, a show offering insight into the hospitality industry, featuring restaurateurs, thought leaders, and innovators, served up on the house. I know you want to become a better restaurateur. That's why you tune in every week. And I hope this helps. But there are countless resources out there at our disposal. Today, we chat with one of the best restaurateurs I know, Madeline Alfano. In our conversation, she unpacks how she got so damn good at becoming great so that you and I can level up too. path was to go to UCLA to escape the restaurant industry and the food industry that my parents so passionately ingrained in us from the time I was a very little girl. My mom opened a little delicatessen in Long Island. She was, gosh, how old was she? She might have been 30 with five small children. My dad was a truck driver. Originally, we're all from Hoboken, New Jersey, and she opened this broken down delicatessen and converted into just a mecca of food. So as a little girl, I worked in the grocery store. And then when we moved to California, my uncle owned a very famous Mateo's restaurant. It was the Rat Pack hangout in Los Angeles. Every celebrity under the sun and presidents would go there. So I grew up around food. Food is our life. And I saw how hard my parents worked in the grocery store seven days a week. We celebrated on Mondays. We didn't celebrate on Saturday or Sunday. Mateo's was closed on Monday, so my uncles got to come over to the house. And that's when we celebrated. Any holiday would fall on a Sunday, we celebrated on Monday. So I learned at an early age, your life is dedicated to your community and to your customers. And I went to UCLA to become a doctor. That was my goal, pre-med. Summer breaks or spring breaks, I would work with my parents. And I love the interaction. I love the interaction with people and giving back to the community. And so that's really how it happened. When I graduated UCLA, I started working with my parents in their first takeout, which was a converted garage. The grocery store had a really cool little market. My mom had international foods. My dad ran the meat department. And they learned on the job, uh, the meat department. So when the produce would not be perfectly perfect, and people couldn't paint a picture of it, my mom would take it and prepare a meal for it. And customers would come in and go, oh, what are you making? And so she started selling and then turned the one-car garage into the first Maria's Kitchen. So after college, I worked there with them. And what was the path to leadership for you within the company? 
Well, it's interesting, Josh, you know, a lot of times people ask me, are leaders made? Are they born? And from the time I was a very little girl, I always grew into leadership roles. I'm not going to say take over leadership, but any organization I get involved with, I want to do so much because my belief is that if you're involved in an organization and you want to do good, you have to give of yourself. And the more you give, the more you grow. And the more you grow, the more you grow in leadership. So in junior high, I was in student government, commissioner of youth activities for Palms Junior High, put on all the entertainment. And then in high school, they had a sports program for men, for the boys, but not for the girls. They had lettermen, but they didn't have girls couldn't letter. And I was on all the sports teams, softball, basketball, badminton, you named it, I was on a sports team. I love that collaborative nature. And so I started the Letter Girl Club and we had letter sweaters and we created that. So I was in student government representing before Title IX, representing girls athletics. And then in college at UCLA, a friend of mine wanted to join a sorority, but I did not want to join a sorority. I went through Rush, ended up joining a sorority, and I became president of the sorority my last <laughs> year in college. So, so leadership is kind of ingrained in me. I believe that in order to make a difference, you have to be in a leadership role and you have to constantly grow and learn. And we'll talk about that also. But my parents were very smart. And I always say to people, the older I get, the smarter my parents become. They did everything very grassroots, neither went to college, understood marketing before marketing was even a term, that you sell what people buy, you make it look beautiful, you give back to the community, you educate yourself, you educate your customers on what you're selling. It's very important. So I learned from them at an early age. And in 1984, my parents actually sold the first Maria's Italian Kitchen in Brentwood. I had a little deli across the street, a little international market, but we retained the rights to the name. Mm -hmm. So in 1985, I was approached by a neighbor who owned a piece of property in Sherman Oaks, California. We never went past Mulholland when you lived on the West side. It was before when it was a zip, it was an area code. People say, don't date the 818 when you look <laughs> at the 310 or the 213. So I asked, like, where's Sherman Oaks? And my parents always taught me that you help your neighbor. So I said, okay, maybe I can help you. Drive out to Sherman Oaks, pull in front of this little restaurant. On the window was painted Joe Mama's. That was the name of the place, Joe Mama's. And so I went in and there's this young kid, Joe. I actually, his name was Mike. And I said, are you Joe Mama? He's like, well, that's what they call me. So I ended up buying that location with my savings because on the way back from the Valley, I was living in Culver City. I remembered my first experience in Italy was in 1980, October of 84. And I visited all the little trattorias and I thought, God, wouldn't that be great to have a little trattoria? And it was a year after my parents had sold the Maria's in Brentwood, the takeout, and they were going through a little postpartum depression. So I thought, okay, well, I'll open up a Maria's Italian kitchen sit down and they can come and hang out and help. So that's really how I took the leadership role was to really take all of my savings, which was $20,000 and put it into a 1500 square foot restaurant in the middle of a block with no parking in Sherman Oaks in 1985. And that's your company. 
it starts with your parents' dream. I had a similar conversation with Christy Vega because her restaurant is her restaurant, right? Her father started it, but it's now her dream, her vision, which is an extension of his. I think the same is very true for you. You took the big seat. You were able to look back at everything your parents had done to build today. And I'm curious to know, what do you think they did exceptionally well? And where did you see opportunities for improvement as you guys moved forward in the endeavor? My parents are very smart about people. They've got really good street smarts. My dad would always say to me, you think everybody's on the level? Because I was just, you know, like, we got to do everything the right way. And there's only one way. It's the right way. And sometimes you have to cut corners when you don't have the money. Maybe you have to cobble things together. You can't buy the best fixture. So you buy used equipment and pray that it lasts. And it doesn't. And it never does. <laughs> and it never does. There's refrigeration. So what I learned from my parents is marketing. My dad would have a little notebook next to the cash register and people would have come in and ask for something. They would say, and this is in 1973. Oh, do you have haagen ice cream? haagen What's haagen Okay, right down. A couple more people. Do you have Avion water? Avion water. Who, who buys bottled water? This is 1972. Who would pay for water when you can get out of the faucet? Okay, write it down. <laughs> do you have contract? So three people asked for it. He bought it. Mm-hmm. He, he put it into the inventory. And I remember haagen was 99 cents a pint then. Who's going to spend 99 cents a pint? Avion water was, I think the big bottles were a dollar twenty. Like who's going to pay for water? So I learned that from my dad. Also, always have your cart full. He said, people do not buy from an empty cart. You face up your groceries, you make sure everything looks abundant. So it's fresh and everything has to be rotated and fresh. So I learned about first in, first out. We didn't use that expression, but it was, you take the stuff that, you know, older in the back, newer in the front. And I learned about beef, how to buy chicken. I learned how to bone out a chicken. I learned so much about meat and where it comes from and how to keep it fresh. My mother, genius. She would read cookbooks like they were encyclopedias. She started the first international gourmet shelving, right? As you walked in to the grocery store, she called the French gourmet store, the Italian store, any imported grocery items. She had them on that shelf and it was a little international market. I also learned about impulse items right on the counter. We used to sell baklava, pita bread. Nobody had it in that neighborhood. And the most important thing I learned from my parents is about community and about neighborhood, that you take care of your community, you take care of your neighbors. And we would start when we worked together on a weekend, get there at eight o'clock in the morning, open the grocery store, and we'd close around 7, 30, 8 o'clock at night. And we'd all be in the station wagon and ready to pull out. There's The lights are closed in the market. Maybe there's one light in. And someone would drive up and knock on the door and look in. We're all in the car like, Dad, don't get out of the car. It's like, what if the guy needs a quart of milk? His wife's going to get mad at him if he doesn't bring home the milk. He gets out of the car, opens the door, turns the light on. Hey, pal, what do you need? Okay. Then another customer comes. And so it's like an hour later. But my dad said, I'm taking care of my customers, right? Anytime anyone had something horrible happen in their family, my mom was there with a tray of lasagna. She took care of so many people. When people were on a budget, tell me how much you got, I'll make the food for that. So 
I learned that you just give from your heart and you don't think about the money because it doesn't sound MBA-like, but it's really important to know that you get those back in spades later on. So you opened the first restaurant in 1984, your first restaurant in 1984. 85. 85. 85. Yeah. So we're, we're looking at, <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> I was 28. No one trusted me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so curious. Like when you look back, you've grown to 10 locations at your largest. What kept you relevant over the years? Southern California is an incredibly competitive market, right? And Lord knows there are plenty of Italian joints out there. What has kept you relevant? What has kept you different? What has kept you competitive throughout the years? Well, I always say to people, Maria's is not trendy. We're not the hipster place. We are truly old school, authentic Italian, Hoboken, New Jersey. We're not the shishi. I think what's kept us relevant is maintaining the core values of the quality of the food, the quality of customer service, really believing in what hospitality means. And we didn't use that term. And we never called our customers guests. We always called them customers because they were paying you. And I kind of go back and forth with that term guest, customer, because a guest comes into your home, doesn't pay, a customer is paying you. So you can Remember, they're a customer, treat them like a guest. But keeping the menu, the core menu, very true to our roots. Always using the best tomatoes. In fact, Dinopoli tomatoes, we still, the family from Fresno, we still use their tomatoes. And then we also use vendors that we've had 40 years, maintaining really good relationships with your vendors so you can consistently get the best quality and keep consistency in your quality of your food. The other thing that's really important is your team. I have people that have worked with me for over 30 years. In this industry, that's unheard of. Absolutely. And because we truly believe our culture, which is you take care of your people because they are the ones that are taking care of you, your customers. Prior to the pandemic, I could barely use my iPhone. I'm a restaurateur, not a tech guru. But over the last two years, we've seen that tech can play a vital role in helping us make more money and save money. And that tech can show up at some pretty unlikely places, like your kitchen sink. Dawn Professional is a detergent and degreaser that can help reduce your labor expense and your overhead on cleaning supplies through leveraging the latest technological innovation in cleaning products. Dawn Professional Multi-Service Heavy-Duty Degreaser is specifically formulated to cut grease two times faster versus the leading food service degreasers. While Dawn Professional Manual Pot and Pan Dish Detergent cleans 58% more pots and pans per sink, reducing sink changeover versus the leading competitor's professional dish soap. Save time and money by upgrading to Dawn Professional Manual Pot and Pan Dish Detergent and Dawn Professional Multi-Service Heavy-Duty Degreaser from PNG Professional. In those early days, culture wasn't a big topic of conversation. Never. But when you're Italian, you have your own culture. And your culture is family and food. And food and love is the same thing. At Maria's, food and love is the same thing. You want to show someone you love them, you make them a delicious meal. And that's how we do it. The other thing that's really important to be relevant is, and I remember 
I said, I would never have a barbecue chicken pizza on my menu. Never, <laughs> never, never. And Gail uh, Rosenthal from Gail's Barbecue Sauce, she, I remember it was 1989. I was in my little uh, Maria's in Woodland Hills, and she walks in with this barbecue sauce. She goes, hey, I sell this to CPK. Would you buy it? I'm like, yeah, that's great for CPK, but we don't really make barbecue chicken pizza. And my dad would think I was absolutely crazy if we did that. It's not Italian. So we have a really delicious barbecue chicken pizza on the menu now. <laughs> barbecue chicken salad, <laughs> needless to say, with my friends, barbecue sauce. But yeah, so never say never. You can modify your menu for the two or three or ten percent of people that are vegan or vegetarian or paleo or keto. There's all the diets that we go through. Really, main for us, it's maintaining our core. Meatballs, lasagna, eggplant parmesan, which is the best eggplant parmesan on the planet, I will tell you. And making sure that everything's made delicious the way you remembered it 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Let's talk about that. I don't have the statistics in front of me, but in Southern California, I think that cost of goods and labor has gone up by like roughly a billion percent since 1985. (laughs) And so understanding that profitability has to be a central focus. And so the concept must have evolved to compensate for the increased cost of goods, the increased cost of hourly employees. When I started in 2010, I think minimum wage in LA was $6. I think it was like $6 an hour. And now we're at 15 So how have you adjusted the business model and your pricing structure to compensate, to make sure that you're always profitable? Yeah, I think when I got my first job, because my parents couldn't afford to pay me, I worked in the grocery store, and then I took a job at Omelette Teller during Christmas. I was $1.65 an hour. Wow. And you had to pay for parking, too. (laughs) So one of the things that was always really important for me is the serving staff, the tipped employees got minimum wage. The heart of the house, my core kitchen team always got paid more, either double that. And that at that time was probably much more than that. It wasn't legal at the time. I highly recommended that my serving staff thanked the kitchen with a minimum of 10% of their gratuities, not legal. Right Now I can say it because it's legal today, but it wasn't legal when I did it, but it was highly recommended. I didn't force them. Right. And to create that collaborative teamwork. Teamwork to me is very important. I always, as I said, I was on sports teams and it's more fun and it makes the job a lot easier because everyone's got each other's back. So profitability, it's interesting. The margins have shrunk tremendously where you get any bit a number of 25%, 30%. Now it's down to 19%. I'm very frugal. I do not believe in waste. We started recycling long before it was trendy. We had water on request long before it was required. In 1985, I had a little table that says water on request. It's a valuable resource because water was expensive and it's even more expensive today. And the ice and everything else. My dad always taught me, you make your first dollar on your purchase. You have to know your vendors They have to trust you, you have to trust them, and you have to make the best negotiated price on the best quality product. We do that really well. So we keep our 
food costs have been consistent. They might have gone up about 2% wow. based on our sales, right? Sure. In 1985, I think a chicken Parmesan was six ninety five. I think I looked at my my menu with <laughs> pasta and vegetables, and it was served to you. Now, two chicken breasts with pasta and vegetables is $22 on our menu. So in 40 years, it's gone up four times, which is not so bad. But our margins are smaller and we are still profitable and we are still able to take care of our teams. It's just harder. You have to look at every single penny. And my dad would also say, pennies make dollars and dollars make sense. Don't throw away a tin. I would walk in and, oh, something, you know, they had a to-go container. Oh, now they want to dine in. They take the container and they throw it in the trash. Wait, wait a second. Rinse that out. That's still good. Nobody touched that, you know. Don't throw things out that shouldn't be thrown out, but throw things out that need to be thrown out, like food that you shouldn't be selling. So waste is another thing that restaurateurs really have to look at. Don't over prep. Prep what you need. It's still a constant battle. Josh, I can tell you we have prep lists. I'm a Virgo. I have a checklist for everything. We have <laughs> checklists, temperature lists, and waste is a huge factor in profitability, and people don't realize that. Huge. So purchase great, watch your waste, and make sure you're frugal. I'm a huge advocate, and I learned this through the peer organization that I'm in, that personal development is professional development. And the better we get as leaders, the better our organizations are for it. And a central focus throughout your entire life has been getting better, learning, educating yourself, mentoring others. It's been a central focus of your life. And it's something that is very hard to make time for, especially when the floor drains are backing up, there's a grease fire in the kitchen, two servers didn't show up. And so I'd love for you to share your educational path and process over the years, how you've made time for it and the impact it's had on your career. I am such an advocate of, of education and joining groups. I love to learn. I'm constantly learning every day. I'm learning from this podcast. I think that not taking the time, and I don't say take the time, you can make the time. We all have 24 hours in the day. You choose to do what you want with that time. You know, I've learned from every organization I've been involved in. I do a lot of nonprofit work. So my son, Max, my first son, Max, was born in 1988. He was born developmentally delayed, handicapped. I did not know it at the time. And I was opening my second restaurant. He was literally 11 weeks old when I was negotiating my second restaurant. Someone called me and said, my son, you know, a failed restaurant. I took it over because he needed help. So I went and I helped him. And then when I realized Max was severely disabled, severely development delayed, I got involved with the UCLA intervention program. We developed software for handicapped kids. And we learned, we shared best practices for our handicapped children. Then you move into NABO, National Association of Women Business Owners. I joined that organization and then became president and chair of the foundation because that's what happens with me. And you share business and you share best practices for your family. It's that work-life balance that so many women in business struggle with. And I say, listen, you're not going to have a work-life balance. You're not going to be balanced. 
They're going to be 80-20. Some days it's 80 business, 20 family. Some days it's 80 family, 20. It's never going to be 50-50. Throw that out the door. It doesn't exist. And then joining YPO, Young President's Organization, I'm in the G chapter now because it's gold. I'm in my golden age. <laughs> I think there's a song about that. David Bowie, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm in the David Bowie phase of my YPO <laughs> life. And they're byline, their motto is better leaders through education and idea exchange. And that's what I get from that. So I'm constantly learning. In fact, this morning I was on an educational seminar at 8.30 this morning before this podcast. And it was really important for me to learn about what's going on in the world. And I'm so blessed that I have been able to do the things I have been able to do going to UCLA. I'm involved in the Anderson School there with the entrepreneurial program. I'm just really blessed. And I make the time because I think it matters. It matters not only for my family, my kids, but also for the people I work with. I can't tell you in this last two years, if they hear me, read Atomic Habits, get it on Audible, Power of Habit, Charles Duhigg, all of these things that I'm reading and learning about, I share with my team. I don't make them listen to it, but I think it's going to make them better. I also want to talk about the benefits that you've gotten from it. For years, I would pick up a business book, self-help book, whatever it is. And I'd be like 15 pages in and I'd be like, shit, I love this. I have so many ideas. (laughs) And then I would start executing it (laughs) in my business, right? You know, great examples, Attraction by Gina Wickman. The book profoundly changed the way I saw myself in my role in my business. Good to Great by Jim Collins, right? Amazing book. And so- Oh, Amazing book. Great book. I recommend that to NCR, National Cat NCR Corporation, because they are quite dysfunctional. I've been with them for 30 years. And I said, you guys really need to read this because my apps, not talking to my online ordering, not talking to my loyalty, not talking to my, t- come on, let's get all in a room and let's break down those silos. So, And so what have the benefits been to your business? Are you able to track like becoming better at this improved my business in this way? It's very hard. I know it's made me a better leader and a better person. I was very impatient when I first started in life. (laughs) I was impatient as a very young child. I got things very quickly and I was very impatient. I think through the educational process and through, you know, Abraham Lincoln, Lincoln on Leadership is a great little book. I just admired what he went through. And I think what I've learned through the course of learning and being around so many different types of business organizations from women organizations to YPO, which is used to be a good old boys network. There's more women involved, UCLA business school, is that everyone has a perspective and it's important to listen and understand everyone's perspective. That doesn't mean you have to act on it. Because you know in your gut, your head, in your body, you know what you feel will be good for your business. But it's good to explore all of the other thoughts. And I always say to the team, the idea doesn't have to be my idea. It has to be the best idea. I just want the best idea. It doesn't have to come out of my mouth. It can come out of yours. And let's collaborate and make something the best. And that's what happens with education. You go to a YPO forum. And you present a challenge and you'll get eight different ideas and you go, okay, great. That's good. So now you get to formulate it. 
And sometimes it's confusing because you come up, holy mackerel, like now what am I going to do? I got all these great ideas, but I got to execute this. So I think my team would always worry when I went away to a leadership conference and come back with like, what's she going to come back with now? But they also know that it's about making each other better. And I can tell you out of the hundreds of people that I recommend books to, about 10 of them will read them and say, hey, that was really great. And I'm happy for that. So I can't force education on people, but I won't say we change the culture, but I think people understand that it's a new dawn. It's a new day. We have to think differently in our business today. People are not the same as they were two years ago. They're not the same as they were 10 years ago. So anything I can learn to create a better environment where people feel safe and feel appreciated is important. And I think the education and the collaborative nature of being in groups does that for me. This is an industry podcast. And at the end of every episode, I like to give the guests an opportunity to speak directly to the audience. Do you have advice, words of encouragement you'd like to offer? I do. This is a very challenging business, but I love it. I love people. I love what we do for our neighborhoods. I think the most important thing for this industry is if you don't know something or someone, find that person that's smarter than you or you think is smarter and ask for advice. I think asking for advice is very courageous, but also creates the vulnerability that you have. And the California Restaurant Association is one that I recommend most highly for anyone in this industry because we do care and we work very hard every day to make your life better. So, and get involved, get involved. Your voice is important. That's Madeline Alfano. For more on her restaurant, visit mariasitaliankitchen.com. If you want to tell us your story, hear previous episodes or check out our other content, go to restaurants.yelp.com forward slash full comp. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please leave us a review. A special thanks to Yelp for helping us spread the word to the whole hospitality community. I'm Josh Kopel. You've been listening to Full Comp.